morning. If you'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 6, that's where we're going to be this morning. Um, I'm pumped to be back here. Uh, for, for some of you, you're just like, well, I've never seen you in the first place, so, um, so no problem. Uh, but just love, love the people here, um, love the people of Santa Fe, believe um, my prayer constantly here is in Santa Fe just as it is in heaven. It's my prayer. In, in Santa Fe just as it is in heaven, in, in every sphere of society. Because one day he will renew all things. The sin veil will be torn away and everything will be made new. And so he's called us to live this kingdom life of hope in him. And so that's my prayer and has been my prayer. So let's, let's pray this morning. Papa, I need you. I don't want to go anywhere without you. Got a few promise, all the things in the world, and it's not you with me. I don't want any of it. You are who we were made for. Our joy is in you and you alone. And so I pray that you would just encourage us with that this morning. That I would say nothing more, nothing less than what you want. Holy Spirit, come speak, comfort, convict, heal. And in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Okay, so the life of, of Gideon is, we're, we're going to kind of trek through Judges 6, 7, and 8 kind of staying a little like really close to the text but here's kind of the three categories that we're gonna go in it's gonna be the call of Gideon so we want to look at that and then we want to see this snare that he constantly is falling into or probably better stated jumping into jumping into but also the hope that God gives him here's kind of the historical context we're not as much gonna go through all these verses, but in the first 10 verses, we're told that the Israelites are being held captive by, or in captivity to the Midianites for the past seven years. And they're sitting there, and the Midianites, it's not like it's this rule where they're just like, hey, just do what we tell you to do when we tell you to do a kind of deal. I mean, they're coming in and smoking these people. I mean, they're taking anything they can from them, their crops as they're built up. They're saying, give that to me, their cattle, give that to me, your people, give that to me. But it's a strange thing because if, I hope this week you go and read in uh, Judges chapter 6 because here's what we find out is that all of this happened because of Israel. It was the Israelites' disobedience. It was there giving themselves over to the gods of the Midianites. It is a strange, strange thing that was going on. And so that's kind of the um, background that we have. And so if you look in your scriptures, I think they might try to float those up on the screen if, if they can. But starting in verse 11, um, it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the 
Abizri while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. So let's stop there. What we have here is we've got, we, we've got the angel of the Lord, he's coming, and Gideon, of all places, he's in a wine press beating out wheat. If you know anything about that, you do not beat out wheat in a wine press. But he was also, he also did it because he was freaked out about these folks. He was freaked out about the Midianites, but we learned he probably should have been. Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, there was some reason. He, he wasn't just sitting here in vain imagination. There's some reason that he was doing that. In verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, get this, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. I mean, what kind of craziness is this angel of the Lord? We can later find out and, and, and know that this angel of the Lord is called a theophany. It's a, this is Jesus himself taking on the form of an angel and speaking with Gideon. It happens several different times throughout the Old Testament. But Jesus is coming and saying, you mighty man of valor, the Lord is with you in the middle of his fear. Already declared something over him that he wasn't living out. It's the same thing the Lord does with us all the time. He declares and then you live into it. That's what he calls us to do. But he calls him this man of valor and Gideon pretty rightfully, I think, responds, says, please, sir, if the Lord's with us, why then has all this happened to us? I mean, do you see that real faith, that real talk right there? I mean, a lot of here's one of the fears that I have in, in Christianity is that we're so given over to functionality, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, that there's no relationship. But we don't see that in the scriptures. Every time there's this call to faithfulness or this call to fidelity, it gives this freedom to express fears. It gives this freedom, this openness to say, I'm in a safe place. Now I need you to talk to me. Now I need you to talk to me. And so he says, <clears throat> excuse me, how's all this stuff happened to us? Where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord's forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And get this, and look what the Lord does. Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? I mean, imagine that. The man who was filled with so much cowardice, all of a sudden the Lord not only calls him a man of courage, a man of valor, but he says that you already have the might to overtake all of your enemies. That's crazy talk. It's utter crazy talk. But then we see him declare this, and now all of a sudden we're going to get this laundry list of things from Gideon. And I want us to kind of go through them a little bit, because some of these things, that, that this whole snare of fear that he has, some of these things you would go, yeah, I mean, if, if we're going to be honest, maybe that's, that's us today. Maybe there is some legitimacy in this, and yet the Lord still constantly is saying, don't live in that fear for one reason and one reason only. Not that you have anything to prove to God. 
only that he is with you. That's it. He is with you. And so we get to the first snare, which is verse 15. He sits there and he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel, right? This is Gideon's response. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. Pretty legit deal, right? I mean, he doesn't have a whole lot of people that are standing up for him. How in the world am I going to come against Midian? We later find out that it's over 135,000 people. 135,000 people are going to be conquered from a dude that is so scared of everything that right now he's in the middle of a wine press threshing wheat. He says, so how can I do this? And get this, the only thing that the Lord says to him, verse 16, but I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. It's the only thing that he said to him. It was the only comfort that he gave him. I am with you. And so this morning, one of the things that we have to say is, is that legitimate for us? And if it's not, maybe you just need to say to the Lord, I honestly have a faith issue with you. I have a trust issue with you. But I want you to be with me, but I don't know how to do that. And in that type of real earthy dialogue, he loves to come and meet his children. Or maybe you're sitting there going, I've got, I believe that. I believe that already. And so he's releasing you. Go, express it. He's with you. Second thing that we see is the snare of fear. So we have this, he's the weakest in his clan. He's the least in his family. So he says, show me a sign. And that's in verse 17. And um, he said all this because of fear. And if you look in verses 19 through 23, you'll see that this sign is that he supposed to take a sacrifice, and then he was supposed to take this broth port on the sacrifice, put it out on this rock, and the Lord came and boom, incinerated it. You want a sign? Here's a sign. Here's a sign. But here's, here's the thing. Most times, the call for God to give us a sign is rooted in fear. It's rooted in fear. You see, because you have some people that almost, it's almost like they challenge God in, a, in an adverse way. They sit here and go, you know what? Well, you better do this. Well, you better watch out. I mean, I wouldn't do that too much. I wouldn't do that too much. And it's not because he's, in, he's a mean, evil God or anything like that, but he's sitting there going, even if I show you this sign, that's not going to necessarily mean that you believe. Why? Because life is about relationship, not just functions. It's why we see all the time people are able, we're even told in Matthew chapter 7, there's going to be people that prophesy in his name, that cast out demons in his name, that heal in his name, and on that day he'll say, depart from me. Why? Because you didn't know me. It's relationship. And he's simply saying, come and know me. So from this sign, God commissions the mild, you'll see in verse 25 through 27. And he sits there and, and God tells him to take this ashtoreth or these, um, the, this um, idol that his dad had set up in his, in his family compound. He said, go over to your dad's uh, bale and tear it down. I mean, this is crazy though. 
This is really, really crazy because people entrusted themselves to this Baal so much, to this idol so much that all, and get that, get that. I, I think there's a huge word in there too for you if you're in Christ today. Sometimes you allow some of these idols to be sat on your heart and you entrust yourself to them more than you do the power of God. And he's saying, rip them out. Rip them out. Get, get rid of them. And so he tells Gideon to do this and get this. Verse 27. So Gideon took 10 of his servant, 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. It's the third instance. So he's the smallest, weakest in his clan, least of his family. Then he says, show me a sign. Then the Lord tells him to do something, and his only response was, yeah, I'll do it, but I'm going to do it in the middle of the night. Why? Because these folks freak me out, is what the deal was. Then we get to another part. Chapter 6, verse 36 through 40, and this is the famous casting of the fleece. Right? Even if you're in here and you're, you're not a Christian, you haven't been to church, most people have heard this terminology and stuff, and it's like, throw a fleece out. See what will happen. See if it comes back. But here's the thing that we need to recognize even about this fleece. This was an act of fear, not an act of faith. He did this because of fear, not faith. He still didn't trust God. He said, you need to do this in order that I can know that you're with me. Remember how I echoed back to the idea of the sign that he incinerated this whole deal? Why this idea of supernatural works, these miraculous works in these type of physical ways don't inherently mean that you're going to trust God? So some people are sitting there going, I'm going to wait on you until you do this thing for me. And God is sitting there saying, just entrust in me with all of who you are. And pray for those things for sure, but they're secondary. Then we get to the fifth one. Um, see this kind of broken down in chapter uh, 7, uh, at the beginning of, of chapter 7. And so basically he has, Gideon has uh, been able to get a mess load of folks around him, i.e. 22,000 guys. You know, so he goes from freaked out guy in the wine press to 22,000 guys that are mobilized, ready to go. And the Lord sits there and says, Lord said to Gideon, verse 2 of chapter 7, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Here's the reason. Lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Like, Maybe some of the reason why you kind of feel like your back is up against the wall and why you feel there's nowhere else to go, one of the big reasons is because he's saying, I'm getting ready to set you free. I'm getting ready to say, I don't need you to trust in all these other things. I don't need you to trust in chariots or horses. I don't need you to trust in men. I need you to trust in me and me alone. And so he sits there and he, he whittles this whole deal down to 300 guys. And then the Lord comes to him at night and he says, Arise, go down against the camp, for I've given it into your hand. 
verse 10. But if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. And what does he do? Goes down with his servant. He's still freaked out. He is absolutely scared out of his mind. But notice this. This entire time, the Lord still declared him to be a man of valor. He never took it away. Never. We never read that. And so he goes, if you fast forward, um, so, so that's the call, and then we see these snares of fear. And so the question is, how, is how, how does hope come in to break these chains of fear with Gideon? How does hope come in to break these chains for you and I? We'll, we'll see it um, later on in, in chapter 8. You can go there to uh, ver- verse 21. I'll give you a fast forward. So Gideon goes out with these 300 men. He smokes the Midianites. I mean, he takes them out. And he captures two of their kings, Zeba and Zalmunna. By the way, don't ever name your kids that. Um, but, I mean, well, you could do that, but it's uh, kind of like naming your kid Vernon. You'll give him a complex the rest of their life. Um, so he, uh, he goes, and uh, he's got Zeba and Zalmunna, these, these kings, <clears throat> excuse me, and they say this incredibly prophetic word to break some chains for him. You remember how the Lord at the beginning said, he said, I'm with you. You are a man of valor. And so as Zeba and Zalmunna are captured, they say this great phrase, as a man is, so is his strength. As a man is, so is his strength. And something broke in Gideon. Something broke in Gideon. Something finally converted with him. You see, it's not as you do, so is your strength. Take that as some freedom. If you're walking in here and you're like, I just need to try to please God. I need to do this and then this and then this and then this and then he'll be happy. If I don't do this and I don't do this, and especially if I get a series of don't do thises together, even maybe a week, maybe he'll be more happy with me. I mean, have you ever done this? Probably not, but it's just my own craziness. But, 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 but anyways, it's that matter of he isn't sitting there saying, as you do, so is your strength. Why? Because obedience is not about earning. It's never about earning for the Christian. Obedience is about expressing gratitude. Obedience is about expressing who he has already made you. That's why the life of obedience, when people talk about the life of obedience and they make it this stale type of rote living and things like that, they just don't get it. It's because obedience to them is earning. Obedience to them is trying to prove themselves to God. And God is sitting there saying, I've already given you everything you need for life and godliness. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. And so as a man is, so is his strength. And this is crazy because Ziba and Zalmunna, all they were doing was going back to Gideon's original commission. Go in this might of yours, Gideon. Did not I send you? Go in this might. You see, because what God was trying to convince Gideon of is this. Don't stack everything up against your own personal history. Stack it up against mine. Don't try to get your own strength. Don't try to conjure up your own strength. The way that you will have strength is by entrusting yourself to the sender of strength, which is God and God alone. That's what he's saying. 
Why? Because the life of Christianity, again, is this abiding life. I talked about this last time. It's John 15. It's a matter of submitting to who he's already declared you to be. That's the life of Christ. We have nothing else to prove. And this is the great, great thing because we no longer have to go on and on and on trying to prove ourselves to other people, trying to even prove ourselves to ourselves. And trying to prove ourselves to God, we don't have to do that. Why? Because he's declared a different narrative over you. So we are a people who cast out fear not by what we do, or some type of five-step process. So I pray you didn't come in here wanting that uh, because you're not going to get that. Um, but that's fine. But we cast out fear through identity. Get this. We cast out fear through identity. We cast out fear by, by who he's already said we are. But here's a couple schemes of the enemy. Okay, so I want to point these out. One of the things that I've talked about every single time I've been here is this idea of cultivating this life where we preach to ourselves, right? You see that in Psalm 42, especially. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Hope in God. He wasn't just some passive guy sitting there. He's sitting there going, I'm in the dregs of craziness, but I'm not gonna stay there. Why? Only because of who God is, that's why. Not because my circumstance inherently changes right now, but only because of you. But mark these words, two schemes. Every attack from the enemy is rooted in fear. Every attack. So like, if you're thinking in your mind, I need to do this just to rid myself of guilt, or I need to do this just so this bad thing doesn't happen, as good as it sounds, it's still from hell. Why? Because it's rooted in fear. If you don't do this, but the issue of God, I'm not saying there's not consequences. Don't, don't, don't think I'm not saying, oh, that I'm saying that. But what I am saying is this. God always motivates through his love. Always. That's Roman two verse, Romans 2 verse 4. That it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And let me tell you, when his kindness rebukes you, there can be some tears that will flow. Okay? So it's not some kind of easy believism. I'm not saying that. But every attack from the enemy is rooted in fear. And so whenever you walk out of here, notice I said whenever you walk out of here and get smoked by the enemy in his attempt to either get you to give in to anger or lust or power or all these other things. Here's a great scripture. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, excuse me, verse 13. This is what I cling to. No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. There isn't one. So if you've walked in here and you're like, I just can't kick this. This stronghold has got me. One, it's a correct statement that it probably does have you right now, but it doesn't mean that it's still stronger than God. All right? So he doesn't need you to manage your stronghold when you go out of here. He needs you to sit there and go even, because here's the reality. Sometimes we've got things that are so encapsulated around us that whenever somebody says, well, take that to God, you're sitting there going, I'm so stinking paralyzed right now. I can't even move, let alone say that. And so all you can say is, God, help me. And look at this. God is faithful. 
he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. So if you leave here, or if you've sat here and you've gone, oh, God's faithful, then why does this and this and this keep happening? Narrow it down to this. It's not a God's faith, faithfulness that's the issue, it's yours. Now don't take that in condemnation. Take that as he's waiting there. He's sitting there saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, I'll give you rest. He won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. So when the enemy says that you need to do this, this is who you are, in the name of Jesus, you can say no. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So every attack from the enemy is rooted in fear, and so we speak 1 Corinthians 10, 13 to that. And also this idea, um, Zechariah 9, 12, probably this last year, has been one of the most freeing scriptures that I've found. Um, And he talks about, he uses this phrase, that we are prisoners of hope. It's deep. It's deep waters. Why? Because so many times we talk about imprisonment, and we think, the enemy imprisoning us, right? So anything, I've just got to get that away. Imprisonment, I don't want any of that. And we trust in the power of imprisonment and we give ourselves over to it. We think that the enemy's got all these chains on us and things like that. But the reality is, is he has imprisoned you to hope. And good is not co-equally as strong as evil. It's infinitely more powerful than evil. So you being a prisoner of hope, he's imprisoned you to this life. He said that you are a person of hope now. Now look out in the terrain of salvation, live out in these vistas, and just drink it in. And that's what he says. So when you're attacked by the enemy with fear and all these other things, you can talk back and say, I'm a prisoner of hope. And number two, every attack attack from the enemy is rooted in an attack on your identity. You see, the enemy is always trying to get you to be convinced that you're only as good as what you do. And so the answer to that is not don't do anything. The answer to that is rest in the love of Christ. The answer to that is Take on his identity. The answer to that is, instead of trying to micromanage all of these things about yourself and do image management, just entrust yourself to him. Understand that he literally has given his identity and put it in you. As in, it's your identity. Not that you're Christ, but you have his righteousness. This is the difference between heaven and hell. It is. It is the difference between heaven and hell because it is impossible to not be a legalist unless you believe this. It's impossible. You'll always try to prove yourself. You'll never measure up. You're never good enough. And the whole time he's declared over you, I'm with you. He's declared over you, you are a person of valor. And here's the crazy thing. Some of us have been violated and shamed so much that when I say that, it comes in your ears and you're like, I, I, don't, I don't see how that could happen. But get this, here's freedom. 
He doesn't need you to pull yourself up by your boots. He needs you to come to him and let him whisper his words of love, his words of healing. And get this, the healing might take years and years and years. It could happen in an instant, but it might take years for you to learn how to live into your healing. Because here's the reality. You're already healed in him. It's a matter of, are you going to live into it? Right? He's already fully given you the righteousness. It's a matter of, are you going to live into it? But get this. We don't have a God who's rough with us sitting there saying, just step up. He's not saying that. I said this the last time I preached. And it's this. God is persistent with us, but he's not in a rush. He's eternally persistent with us. Why? Because he already sees how you're going to look like on the new earth. That's Revelation 21 through 22. Check it out. He already sees that. So the rest of your life is this. Since he's put his goodness in you, the rest of your life is to live into who he's already declared you to be. So all of life is grace. (laughs) All of life is grace. And so finally, Ephesians 6, verse 10. This is a New Testament version of this life of Gideon, but it says, Ephesians 6, verse 10, and this is hugely important even in spiritual warfare because you're going to read on later on in verses 11 through 18. You see, most of the time people are going to go, spiritual warfare, you know, put on the breastplate of righteousness, do all this stuff. Like, that's, that can be fine functionally, but if you don't read Ephesians 6.10 first, then it just becomes this deal of you proving how great you are. But Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Get that? He doesn't need you to conjure up might. And the paradox of this, to be strong in the Lord, is to be weak in self. It's to die to self. And not die to self because, because of your personal uniqueness is something that's awful or anything like that. But you die to yourself because he is faithful to bring out your personal uniqueness. He's faithful to bring you, it bring out in you the righteousness that he's already placed in you. So really all of life is the matter of this is saying, okay, God, this is what you said. I need you to bring it out. This is what you said, I need you to bring it up. And so whenever we walk in our life and we try to, we, we have these different times of fear and things like that, it can, it, life can get a whole lot more clear because you can sit there and look at it and, and, and go, is this a disposition of fear or is this a disposition of valor? Now God, teach me how to live this out. But I say that to you finally because as one theologian says, The life of the Christian is not about certainty, it's about fidelity. Now here's what he means by that. He doesn't mean that God's erratic at all, but fidelity, faithfulness. The Christian life is about faithfulness, faithfulness with God, not mainly about functions, what you do. So most of the time our prayers are prayers of functions. It's not necessarily bad, but just make them secondary. 
The first prayer is faithfulness. God, like this job, this person, this thing, all of these things, I just need to know first and foremost that I'm going to be faithful in you. And the only way I can know that is if you speak your faithfulness in me. Not by me conjuring it up. Not by me conjuring it up. And so take that as freedom. Take that as freedom today. And live in the hope of this. He's already declared over you that he's with you. He's already declared over you a life of valor, a life of courage. Now it's just living in that. Let's pray.